0: Let's all stand together then at this time. We're going to look in the book of Titus. New Testament book of Titus, chapter 1. At this message, the pure, the professors, and the proper. And you'll understand why I called it that as I read the text. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess... To know God, the professors. But in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. May God bless the reading of his word today. As my prayer, you may be seated. Titus was a protege of the Apostle Paul, one of his co-workers he was left on the island of Crete with very specific instructions. For this reason, I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Set in order the things that are lacking. The Cretans were well known for being a very base, somewhat vulgar people. In fact, they described themselves that way and were very proud of it, actually. Actually. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Part of what was lacking then in Crete falls under this word soundness. Soundness. It refers to being healthy and strong. When applied as it is here to their faith, it meant their beliefs were solid. And the life that went with it, the lifestyle that went with it then was wholesome. When you live in a vulgar world full of lies and delusions, it's easy to get caught up in it and be influenced by it. In such a world, it's vital then that we have a very strong, sound, whole view of of God's truth, we have a sound, solid faith. It is the role of pastors and other spiritual leaders then to set these things in order. That word is one word in Greek, to set in order. And it means literally to arrange, to arrange in order, to set things, arrange them in order. You might have buttermilk and flour and salt and sugar, and butter, and baking powder. But just because you can throw them all in a bowl doesn't mean you're going to have biscuits. Those things have to be set in order, don't they? You may have everything but baking powder. You think, well, I'll be all right without it. (laughs) No, 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 you won't. When things are lacking, when things aren't set in order, then the outcome is not going to be what's desired. In a spiritual world, then, things have to be put in order the right way. You might have all the ingredients, but they have to be set in order. Sometimes things are lacking in our spiritual lives, things that we don't know, or maybe things we've rejected, things that we've turned away from, maybe that we once knew. It was the pastor's job then in Crete. It is the pastor's job today to set these things in order and bring things that are lacking so that our faith is sound and able to stand against all the deception and all the deceit. It is at this place then that our texts come to bear warning about the many deceivers. Not a few, many There are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouth must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. Many, many idle talkers and deceivers who were spreading nonsense, often of a spiritual nature, referring to our beliefs. And Paul said they'd have a very simple motive, Money, money, he calls it dishonest gain or as the old King James has it, that one of those old King James expression, I just love filthy lucre. <laughs> what does filthy lucre mean? Dishonest gain. You see, money can be honestly made and it can be dishonestly made. God knows the difference. So these men who were spreading this terrible uh, information were doing so for money and for its companion popularity. This has not gone out of existence in modern America. In fact, if anything, we have refined it. You start listening to K-Love and other radio and television stations these days. There's a lot of people on there who are teaching things they ought not. They ought not. But they don't know they ought not. They should know better. They don't. They don't. My son, Kyle, in West Virginia, is a youth pastor there, did a series recently he called TikTok Theology. I thought, when I first heard him say that, I thought, man, Kyle, what are you coming up with? But as he began to explain it to me, I understood. He looked at some of the folks with literally millions, millions of followers, most of them kids themselves, teaching so-called spiritual things. They are the epitome of idle talkers because they go on and on and on and on and on about things they don't know about. It's nonsense. It has nothing to do with biblical truth. But the unsuspecting young person listening to all this doesn't know. They don't know. They can make it sound good, Throw in a few Bible verses. They're living, breathing examples of what they taught us in seminary. You can prove anything with a Bible verse. You're willing to take it out of context and twist it and distort it. You can make it say whatever you want, and people are. It's nothing new. They were doing it in Crete. Paul sent Titus there. You set things in order, the ingredients are there, but they have to be put together right. And make sure they're not leaving something out so that they'll be sound in the faith. Three words then, of course, stand out in this text, pure, profess, and proper. These will serve as the outline for our thoughts today, but I will tell you at the beginning that the pure and the professed part are really just preliminary. The point is the proper. What is proper for sound doctrine? That's where he goes to. He's summing up then a discussion that he's had about these idle talkers and deceivers and Then he moves them from that to their need then to have things that are proper. Teach those things that are proper for sound doctrine. Notice then, first of all, the pure. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. I've seen this passage cited by a lot of people to mean that pure people, that is God's people who are spiritually mature, can sanctify things and purify things so that everything they do or whatever they might want to do then becomes pure. I've heard it used, for example, to justify bringing in an ice chest full of beer to a Bible study. Now let me tell you something. If you go to Bible study, you ought not have to appoint a designated driver. You get pulled over for a DUI. Where have you been? Bible study. <laughs> Where do they get that kind of stuff? Right here. They say, well, you know, the Bible says to the pure, all things are pure. So we can just make anything holy. But that's not what this passage is talking about. He's talking about how that God's people can, though, purify some things. And then we even have some examples in Scripture First Corinthians seven fourteen, it's talking about marriage. The church at Corinth was concerned. What if a believer is married to an unbeliever? I'm sure that was a common thing. One spouse was saved. One spouse was not saved. What do we do? Do we have to get a divorce? Uh, my, my, my spouse isn't saved. And, of course, Paul answered that question. No, no, you don't have to get a divorce. And the reason is, he says the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. What does he say? He uses the fact that these children are legitimate, not illegitimate. That their marriage then, though it is a believer with an unbeliever, is recognized by God as being holy and right. It doesn't mean when he says the children are holy, it doesn't mean that they're saved. Uh, It means they are legitimate. They are recognized. Their marriage then is recognized by God. How did that happen? Even though their marriage might be difficult, Paul says the presence of a believer has a profound effect on that. Their marriage is sanctified, acceptable in God's sight. Though it might not be the best, it's still sanctified. Another example of 1 Timothy 4 and 4. For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Now the Old Testament Uh, made it very clear that there were a lot of dietary restrictions on the Jewish people. They could not eat pork, for example, fish without scales, no catfish. They couldn't eat shellfish, many other things. Not only that, but it had to be uh, prepared in just a certain way. An animal had to be killed so as to remove the blood because they were forbidden to eat things with the blood still in it. uh, the, the, The list went on and on and on. And we still today have kosher sections In our grocery stores. Uh, Because of course orthodox Jewish people have to eat things that are kosher. That is acceptable. But the New Testament brought a a different rule. So that those Old Testament dietary distinctions were done away with. And Paul could say then. Every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Remember that the next time you're asking yourself, well, should we really pray over our food? (laughs) Sometimes you really need to pray over your food. (laughs) I've applied this verse in situations I won't even talk about right now. You go on foreign fields, you think about it a lot. Every creature of God is good and is to be received, not refused. We give thanks for it. We pray for God to bless it. It is sanctified. You see another case where a pure person, a believer in Christ then, can bring sanctification to something, to a situation. But Paul said all of this was brought up really for the opposite side of that. For the pure, all things are pure. But then there's that other side of things. For those people who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. He talks about how that there are people who can take anything and turn it into something vile and perverted. We think immediately the person who's a master at innuendo and that famous double entendre just... Able to take almost anything and turn it into something dirty and perverted and disgusting. The import of this passage then isn't really on the pure who make all things pure. But on the people with a defiled mind and conscience. So that the biggest point of this passage about the pure. Is to warn about those who take something that is absolutely pure. The word of God. And twist it and distort it. And turn it into something that promotes evil behavior. The island of Crete in Bible times was full of people like that. The United States of America today is full of people like that. So I want to remind you today, the worst kind of lie. Never lie is bad, but the worst kind of lie. Is the one that's told as if it was the word of God. The worst lies are the ones that we put God's name on. The pure. The professors. As he goes on and continues then this discussion of these, he says they profess to know God, but in works they deny him being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. This is really just continuing on. The description then of the defiled and unbelieving. It's a very important point to make about the people in Crete, obviously. And it's a very important point for us to make about the people in America today. Not everybody who claims to be a Christian is a genuine believer. Just because they say uh, that they're a Christian or just because they claim to believe in God doesn't mean that it's the truth. The Jewish teachers that Paul warned about through Titus were in that exact situation. They certainly knew who God was. They knew about God. But their works showed them to be unbelievers, not believers. Old evangelist Walter K. Ayers used to say, if people like this are actually believers, then the devil has repossessed their testimony. I kind of understand what he's talking about. Paul didn't even give them that kind of nuance. He just said, they claim to be believers, but they're not. America's full of people who claim to be Christians and yet give unflinching support for abortion, who support same-sex marriage, and lately it's gender transition even for minors. Many of these people are in influential and powerful political positions, capable of influencing policy. They use God's name a lot. Many of them are entertainers of all stripes. They they use God's name a lot. They they sing sacred music and play Christians in acting parts. They, They claim to know God. They're sports figures. The list goes on and on of all the people who claim to know God. But their works say otherwise. And then there are the preachers behind pulpits who claim to know God, claim to be speaking for God. But their works say something else. Paul describes their works in three, well, used the three words. And if I seem to be a little quiet today, it's because these are some tough things. The Bible says a lot of tough stuff, and we ain't even got to the good part yet. He says they're abominable, that means detestable, detestable. They're disobedient, that needs no commentary. And, he says, they're disqualified from any good work, that means God is not using them. We need to remember that from time to time, because if you're disqualified and God isn't using you, you aren't really helping anybody. You might say, oh, but they're such good teachers. No, they're not. Oh, but I enjoy listening to them. I don't know what to tell you. Their profession may be good. Their discussion of Scripture might make you feel good. But their works, what they're advocating and what they're promoting and what they're doing, tells us they're disqualified. So whatever is going on in their lives is is not of God. God's not using them. Remember, Paul is speaking of those idle talkers and deceivers whose mouths must be stopped. That's what he told Titus. Their mouths must be stopped. And one of the best ways for God's people to stop the mouths of these idle talkers and deceivers is to stop listening to them and quit buying their books. Change the channel. Their mouths must be stopped. Stopped. The pure, the professors, and now the proper. That's for you, you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. We are to teach people things that are proper, that is compatible. So as opposed to the works that deny God that he just talked about in the previous verse. Who though they profess to know God, their works deny God. Instead of that, he said, you Teach the things that are proper with sound doctrine. You teach the things that are going to set things in order. You teach the things that are going to make up what is lacking. You teach the things that are going to be conducive to a sound, whole, strong faith. You teach what is proper for sound doctrine. And out of the almost unimaginable numbers of things that God could have brought up at that point to talk about the things that are proper for sound doctrine. Number one on his list. Number one. Number one. Speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Number one on the list. Gender roles. Specifically, the roles of men and women in the church. Number one on list. The list. Isn't that interesting? Not number 987. (laughs) You teach the things that are proper for sound doctrine. Number one, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, love in love and patience. The older women, likewise, that they may be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That they admonish young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. It wasn't just like Paul decided to send this to Titus because he was in Crete. He said something similar to Timothy, 1 Timothy 2.11, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet, for Adam was born first, then Eve. In 1 Timothy 4, Paul was specifically speaking to the issue of women as pastors and in teaching roles in the church. Let me be very quick to say that it is not an issue as to whether women are effective communicators, they are. They are. Are they smart? They are very smart. Can they teach? They can very well. Very well. But Paul is bringing this up as a, a con- in the context of this whole issue of gender roles, and this is arguably the most unpopular doctrine. In American Christianity today, in the New Testament, what the New Testament says about gender roles. It's been amazing to me over the last few years to see how many people who have a solid commitment to the Word of God and the authority of Scripture, but they have abandoned this issue altogether and are teaching and practicing contrary to it. It's been amazing. I want to say to you this morning that I believe, and, it's, and, and again, this is, it's not like it's number 987. This is number one. I believe God intends then for his churches, remember he's sending Titus to set things in order to make up the things that are lacking. God intends for his churches then to be a bastion of defense of this whole issue of his, uh, his role, his gender role, and his creative design. It's not a coincidence. That the church has abandoned its stand on this and followed the culture. That we have seen the same explosion in the church as we see in the culture at large of gender confusion and same-sex attraction. Why? Because God's order has been abandoned in the culture. And as the church follows the culture, the same thing happens here as happens there. Gender confusion. Our nation has turned completely away as a whole from what God says about gender. Folks, there's no ambiguity here. Uh, God was not um, being vague, shall we say. Women can and should teach women and children. But women aren't to teach men. The pastoral role is reserved for men. Period. Paul then is mentioning these things that are proper for sound doctrine. That is, they create an environment where sound doctrine can flourish, where people can grow and be sound in the faith. And he starts here. And so if we want to create a place and we want to make up things that are lacking and then create a place where faith can flourish, then we need to be a place where men are taught how to be biblical men. What's that mean? Well, men are to be sober. What's it mean to be sober? It means about the same thing now as it did then. It meant that they weren't given to a whole lot of drinking. Uh, They're to be sober, sober. Now, metaphorically, it crossed over, as it does to us, to, to refer to being self-controlled. But, you know, temperate, which means self-controlled, is, is also in the passage. So, uh, he's going to talk about those things later. So, I have to conclude then that what he's talking about is that men should be taught not to drink wine or, or intoxicating beverages. Or, shall I even expand it a little bit to include uh, the use of recreational drugs, We're not to be that kind of person. Godly men shouldn't be that way. They needed to hear that in Crete. Guess what? We need to hear it in America too. Godly men need to be sober. They are to be self-controlled as well, temperate. That's a fruit of the Spirit, not out of control. Men are to be reverent, and that means dignified. Men of dignity. We could add in words like honest and honorable and venerable because those things play into this concept. Men are the objects of an almost continual barrage of disrespect these days in our culture, in American culture, especially if they're old and white and Christian. But regardless of what is said about us, men need to learn how to be men. And part of that, according to the Bible, is that we need to be reverent or dignified. Yes, that refers to how we dress and present ourselves in public. Yes, if how we dress and present ourselves didn't matter, there would have never been a profession that had a uniform. Business attire would have never been thought of or even conceived. Doesn't matter how we dress, how we present ourselves. Yes. Do we have to wear a suit and tie all the time? Well, my mama thought I should. Yes. (laughs) Mama, I'm out mowing. I've been mowing the yard. I don't care. Y'all not go out in public looking like that. Mama thought I should go in and shower and change, even if I had to run to the parts store to buy a lawnmower blade. I mean, that, that was, it was black and white in Mama's world. You look dignified. Well, we fudge on that a little bit. Folk, maybe we've gone a whole long way to the wrong way. I, I'm, not, I'm not telling you that you all have to wear a tie and coat on Sunday morning. I'm not going to tell that to you. I, I do think we ought to look nice. That covers a lot of territory, doesn't it? dignified be a man who is dignified men are to be sound that's that word healthy again healthy in faith love and patience three things men need to know what constitutes a healthy faith we need to have it and recognize it in others we need to know what constitutes healthy love and what is the kind of love that needs to be avoided we need to know about a sound sense of patience. Most of us aren't very patient by nature. And all you have to do is take one of your grandsons out and try to teach him how to work on something and you'll figure out. You'll figure out. You don't have a lot of patience. Or son. What is proper for sound doctrine then is for men to learn what it takes to be a godly man. And... It is what is proper for sound doctrine. Likewise, he said, when women learn what it means to be a godly woman. that The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste homemakers. To be good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Women also, then, are to be dignified in their dress and deportment. Does it matter how women dress? Yeah, it sure does. How long have we been arguing about that? Forever. Still matters. Women aren't to be slanderers. Not to be constantly bashing their husbands, bosses, co-workers, and anyone else who is male in their lives. And I know when I say that, some of you... They're gonna be laughing, making fun of me before you get out the building. Good. That's okay. That's okay. You just remember this isn't the word of Richard. This is the word of God. I didn't write this stuff. I'm preaching it to you. And I didn't write it. God wrote it. Women shouldn't be slanderers. Women are to love their husbands and kids. They're to be discreet, sexually faithful to their husbands, to be good homemakers, obedient. And respectful. Have I mentioned that this is not number 987 nine on God's list? It's number one. Of the things that needed to be set in order was gender roles. If you want to have a place that is proper for sound doctrine, then we need a place where men are taught to be godly men and where women are taught to be godly women. So that you can have a place where faith is whole, sound, and healthy. Like any other list of things that we might look at in Scripture, this doesn't mean that we are required to do all these things perfectly, and any failure in any area just means that we're horrible people and complete and total failures. Um, listen, it does mean that we understand what the standard is. This is what God expects. I'm going to fall short of God's standard. Yes, you are. So am I. We all do. But I still acknowledge this is God's standard. We're going to try to live it out. We're going to set it in order. Because if we're not setting things in order, then we leave ourselves vulnerable to every false teacher and social influencer with a keyboard. Why? Why? Well, let me show you real quickly. The abandonment of the clearly defined gender roles is an epidemic in American Christianity today. Just this year, one of the largest Southern Baptist churches in America and one of America's most popular pastors was brought up before the annual convention with a vote not to seat their messengers. That would have essentially caused them to no longer be a part of the Southern Baptist convention. They would have been forced out. What was the problem? Well, the popular founding pastor is retiring, and they installed a woman to take his place as the primary teaching pastor. So a motion was made to refuse to seat their messengers, and the motion was met with mockery, scorn, and an overwhelming vote to keep them in. The failure of the vote... Got a standing ovation this year. It's not an isolated issue, and I realize this doesn't punch a whole lot of your joy buttons, but the issue is very simply defined. How can we claim to be a people of the Bible if we abandon this principle altogether? If God isn't right here on gender roles, then please tell me where exactly can we count on God to be right? Did you hear me? Paul goes on to describe how young men should be taught to be sober. Is that word again? How servants should be taught to be good servants or How we should, in modern world, should be good employees. Because all of this behavior is proper for sound doctrine. It creates a church where people can learn to be sound and whole in the faith. And I'm going to tell you something. When you have a church culture that is promoting soundness in the faith, you've got something to be thankful for. In a world full of deception... Distortion, flat out lies, where there is a mountain, mountain of voices, both inside and outside the church, saying otherwise. I can't go into all, I don't have time to go into all the ways this is being promoted. Just, I'll just give you a few quick things. We'll say, well, you know, this is a non essential, they'll say. Non essential i go back to where I started. Did I tell you already, this was number one on God's list? Non-essential? Not important? Doesn't matter? Well, the culture has changed since then. We're in a different world now. Yeah, we're in a different world than there was in Crete. But the more things change, the more it stays the same. And the description that the poets of Crete made of themselves so long ago could apply very well The bulk of American culture today. Against it all, we have a simple word you, you speak those things, speak those things which are proper for sound doctrine. That's our goal here. It's our goal at Faith Baptist and i hope today we'll all take a long hard look at where we are I'm not going to tell you to say well man if you fail i'll say it again if i failed in some part of this well man i'm just a complete and total failure and a bad christian no it means that you still struggle with sin like we all do but let's remember this is a standard this is the bar god set hadn't moved hadn't changed God hadn't brought it down here. He hadn't blotted this whole passage out and just say, well, anything goes. No. Speak the things which become, which are proper for sound doctrine. Let's stand together, please.